Good morning, everyone. Isn't it wonderful to be with God's people? Well, glory to God. We're in the midst of the most joyous time of the year, the, the period between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's the friendliest time of the year. Even the non-believers are friendly. And this is an opportunity that we have to, uh, to share as Christians during this time of year with, with those, with those non-believers. We can share the fact that, uh, that we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and have a wonderful opportunity to, to share pleasant conversation with the non-believers and show love to the whole world in anticipation of good food, good friends, and good times. Everyone seems to be, everyone seems to love everyone at Christmas. They notice that we're joyous, and we tell, can tell them that it's because Jesus has been born King of the Jews and Savior of the world, and has given us the precious gift of eternal life. Amen? This morning I'd like to share with you some thoughts about a topic that I'm very familiar with. It's pride, and I'm not proud of it. As I think about my struggles in life, and that as I go through life, I try to impress people by showing off my talents and skills. I find myself concerned with, with what people think of me. If I were to remain silent in your presence, you might think that I'm a fool. Or I can speak and remove all doubt. You see, I'm self-centered. I think Will Rogers mentioned that in, in a couple of his speeches. I want folks to like me, and I want to please God at the same time. I find that I constantly look to, to myself to check my motivation for doing things, to see if it measures up to God's standard. I catch myself often doing things for the wrong reasons, even while I'm doing good works. I believe it's safe to say that pride is a big problem in our day. It was always a problem, but it seems that today it's encouraged in every sphere. Things that were considered taboo a few years ago are openly and brazenly bragged about. They speak, speak of subjects that are, should never be discussed in mixed company. The proud and the vile language that we hear in our streets is disturbing, to say the least. It seems as though the barriers have been removed and we're paying the price for it. Pride is encouraged from childhood, from well-meaning parents, grandparents, relatives, and teachers. They don't want the child to feel bad if he doesn't win. Children are praised because they're pretty or handsome. Singers are praised because they sing a beautiful song. A painter paints a beautiful landscape. We're praised because we do well on a math test or run a race and come in first, second, or third. In a movie uh, called Meet the Parents, I don't know if, how many of you have seen that. That was quite comical. Ben Stiller received a trophy for ninth place in a field meet. His father didn't want him to feel bad. His father was a psychiatrist. And he didn't want him to feel bad 
because he lost. Most people have no problem with feeling good about themselves. In fact, they need to scale it back a little bit. Psychologists today have been have taken the scriptural teachings of humility and self-control and sacrifice and teach you that you're number one and that your needs have to be taken care of first. Your emotional needs, your physical needs, and all your needs have to be satisfied before you are happy. They substitute happy for joy, which is a fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in us, we may have joy in knowing that we are still in fellowship with God and still be in very difficult circumstances. We do not need to love ourselves more. We need to love ourselves less. We need to love God more and our neighbors more. The pride of man thinks he can improve on God's imperfect, on God's perfect blueprint for living by teaching others how happy they can, they can be without God. They ignore his holy word, or if they quote it, they distort it and cause men to stumble. This reminds me of Christian counseling and biblical counseling. Christian counseling is opposed to biblical counseling. There are Christians that are counselors that use secular methods. They call this Christian counseling, and, the, and laymen think that biblical counseling is the same. They, there is no such thing as Christian psychology. There are counselors that are Christian. If they counsel with the Word of God, if they do not counsel with the Word of God, the Bible, they're just like the rest of the psychologists and psychiatrists that follow Freud, Skinner, Maslow, and their godless teachings. In the 1970s, J. Adams, a Christian apologist, wrote that Christians were competent to counsel if they knew the word of God. He gave many illustrations of people going to counseling for years and with no apparent help or healing. Then afterward, they were healed in a couple of sessions after they had biblical counseling. Joanne and I know several people they continue to waste their money on bad advice year after year. Many pastors believe the lie that if they do not have a psychology degree, they cannot counsel the tough cases. They've been hoodwinked into thinking that counselors have the answers, while the Bible provides the only reliable counsel. True biblical counseling takes place only when the Holy Spirit is invited to provide illumination and guidance in the hearts and minds of those in the process, both counselors and counselees. Psychologists hang out their shingles and entice the weak and vulnerable to buy what they're selling, the world's wisdom. The evangelical church has been a target market because they have joined forces unwittingly with these frauds and been sold a bill of goods. Satan has been the great deceiver since the beginning. The invasion began in the early 50s. They believed they could counsel better than God. Some very common diagnoses are low self-esteem. We've heard that repeatedly down through the, the years. Blame shifting for difficulties in life. Blaming someone else for your problems. Rarely because of personal sin. 
That is a sign of pride and, and manipulation. Two of my sons had counseling from Christian counseling agencies and were not aided in any manner because their advice was secular and flawed. They did not even ask God to aid them in their sessions. They didn't open with prayer. And I guess they, they didn't think they needed God's help. This is a sign of pride. Don't we all begin many projects without going to God first? First to ask if we should do it, and then to ask for help on how to do it? I know that I do. I don't know why, but because I always do better when I ask for his help. Proud men don't ask for help until it's too late. Real men don't ask for directions, or so they say. Men don't normally have poor self-esteem. They love themselves too much. Mankind is, in general is proud, is boastful, is full of himself. He is his own God. Pride is the first sin mentioned in the Bible. Lucifer was thrown out of heaven for it. The next incident is recorded in Genesis where, where pride overcame Adam and Eve. And they were duped into thinking that they could be like God. They would know as much as God. I was going to preach on the seven deadly sins, but you could see that we would be here all day if I did. So let's just address pride since it's so often the fuel for others, the other six deadly sins. Pride takes the lead in relationships to, to the other sins. Pride is the seed of greed and gluttony whereas we think we should have more than someone else. Pride stirs up wrath when we think others should yield to our way of thinking. Sloth occurs when we, when we don't feel we have to earn a living because someone else owes us a living. Lusting after another man's goods or wife or prosperity is a form of pride. We think we deserve these things more. Envy pretty much falls with lust. Wrath is our way of being a judge of others when we are inconvenienced or harmed or someone is getting ahead of us in the grocery line. We can see that pride plays a part in the seven deadly sins and seems to be the chief one of all. What does the Bible teach about pride? Well, let's look at a couple of examples. Job's virtue was extolled in the early part of the book with his name. He was a righteous man, and even he had a pride problem. Which of us could even approach the righteousness of Job? When God chastised him, he could not defend himself before God. If you examined Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, you'll notice that it's by grace you have been saved, and that it is a gift from God so that no one can boast. There's no room for pride in the kingdom of God. God had to straighten Job out. David was a man after God's own heart, and he called on, down God's wrath on those who were prideful and threatening him. Isaiah did likewise in, regarding the Moabites in Isaiah 16. Jeremiah wasn't bashful either. He called a spade a spade and asked God to take care of his enemies. Paul said that a man of 
is a fool that is proud and does not give God the credit for his good fortune, prosperity, or good health, or any other blessing. What do you have that you did not receive? Don't you realize that you can do nothing without him? These verses, we were talking about this in Sunday school today. Pride actually robs you of obtaining blessings that you could have had. Do you think that you're smarter than the rest of us? Everyone is ignorant about something. Everyone is knowledgeable about some other things. This does not compute in the mind of man, of a proud man. His pride makes him conceited, haughty, arrogant, positionally above all others, uncorrectable, unteachable, self-deceived. In our modern-day culture, there are teachers who who change God's word to suit their agenda. They are wise in their own eyes and bring damnation to themselves. In 2 Peter 2, 1-3, he says that there are also false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. They are wicked, manipulative, and abuse power. There's a lot of that going on in our country. We see it in the ministry, we see it in business, we see it in sports, and certainly we see it in the government. The movers and shakers in Washington, D.C. have run this country into the ground, pridefully shredding the Constitution, which is biblically based and void of all sense of decency. We can't expect Washington to be righteous when we're corrupting the church. It's a shame to say, isn't it? We need to pray for our country and pray for our church. Second Chronicles 7.14 is a very familiar passage to many of you. states that uh, Solomon stated that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Notice, he said he would heal our land. But this is conditioned upon our turning from our wicked ways. The King James Bible mentions the subject of pride 47 times. The NIV, 58 times. It's more modern. In addition, there are dozens of examples of pride throughout the scriptures. Do you think you are better than someone else, or do you put yourself first? Then you're proud. The scripture gives some other examples of pride. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn his lesson after he was dethroned and lived as an ox for a year for being proud of what he achieved and did not give God the glory. He could have saved himself a lot of pain and discomfort if he would have humbled himself. Goliath was humiliated by a 16-year-old boy with a slingshot. Proverbs 16, 18, and 19, which I read before, states that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is essentially self-worship, taking credit for something that God has enabled us to do. Pride is all-consuming, leaving no time for God, or even worse, that God should accept them as they are because they deserve his acceptance. A good example is the collector, the tax collector, and the Pharisee worshiping in the temple in Luke 18. 
the proud have a hard time confessing and asking for forgiveness. God loves a humble sinner that seeks forgiveness and does not try to justify himself, but throws himself on the mercy of the Lord. Something else is apparent when you think about pride. It can show up as stubbornness or refusal to cooperate or complete a task when it's in your power to do so. It can even show up when you take credit for overcoming temptation, as in the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. Remember Wormwood? He overcame a temptation and one of the demons patted him on the back and he says, good, good job. He says, oh, good, 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 good. I did a good job. We can go on and on about the pride of others, but it's difficult to see it in ourselves. Our mirrors are cloudy and we, don't, we do not see clearly. It kind of reminds us of the log in your eye and the speck in your brother's eye, described by Jesus. Finally, in every good work, commit yourself to excellence. And when you are praised, give God the glory for giving you the talent, the strength, the wisdom, and the endurance to do the job well. The scripture gives us a pretty good picture of how pride got in the way of Israel after she was established in the promised land. Psalms and Proverbs speak of this quite a few times. Some additional examples of pride were Nimrod. He's a descendant of Noah. Ham and Cush, and father of uh, established Babel, the city of Babel, or Babylon as we know it today, recorded in Genesis chapter 10. There God caused the languages to be confused because of pride. And who, who will not be able to remember that Pharaoh had a real problem with pride and subjected his country to much hardship? Even Aaron and Miriam, Moses' brother and sister, were punished for speaking against God's anointed one. They thought they could lead Israel better. There's no honor in the family. What's that, what's that quote? There's no prophet in the house? All right. So you know what I mean. <laughs> That'll be our homework if we look for it. Yes. Eli's, Eli was a high priest and judge of Israel. He had two sons who offered an unauthorized sacrifice to God, and they were slain in the same day. Ahab and Jezebel died horrible deaths because of their wickedness and pride. Hezekiah was a righteous king, but he was showing off to the Babylonians about the treasures of Israel. And later on, the Babylonians came to gather them. Sennacherib, an Assyrian general, blasphemed God and his armies wiped out. The Pharisees and Sadducees challenged Jesus and he puts them in their place in several, several instances. Paul warned us not to think too highly of ourselves. He taught us to examine ourselves to see if we were in the faith. In Galatians 5, 19 to 21, he lists sins that will keep us out of the kingdom of God. Pride is not listed, but you can see where pride leads to the other sins. In Ephesians 6, we are warned not to take on Satan in our own strength. We cannot defeat him on our own. The Lord will take care of him, but we will put on the whole armor of God and watch him humbled by God. 
Philippians teaches us to be thankful for all that we have. It all comes from God. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 tells us that the Lord is coming soon and we should be watchful because he is coming as a thief in the night. They don't announce themselves, do they? If we look around at the world around us, we see the signs of his coming. Earthquakes, floods, pestilence, violence, and the love of man growing cold. Let us humbly serve him in the meantime. The writer of Hebrews tells of Jesus humbly becoming a man and going to the cross for you and me. He was not proud, even though he had every right to be. He was first in all things. He was the most powerful, most knowledgeable, most loving man that ever lived. He had every right to demand our worship, yet he never claimed that right. He gives you that choice. Even in the face of death while being interrogated by Pilate, he did not defend himself. He loved us while we were still sinners and died for us. He was a sacrifice to God for our sins because there was no better sacrifice found anywhere. He was the perfect sacrifice, sufficient in one act and for all men. James said not to boast about tomorrow, for you do not know if you will be alive tomorrow. Who knows what a day will bring? Be careful in counting your riches. Be careful in making plans. Make God a part of your plans and be generous with your resources. Peter told us to be submissive to authority. And John wants us to overcome the world with love. These are all acts of humility, but put pride in your back pocket. It's not a character trait to be exhibited. The book of Revelation outlines the treatment of the wicked and the proud. Don't be in that camp. Don't hang out with that crowd. It's not going to turn out well for them. But instead, rejoice with us who say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you for being our God and dying for us. Thank you for being the perfect role model for us to imitate. Forgive us for being proud and not loving our fellow man. Help us to forgive others as freely as you have forgiven us. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.